it was clearly a dangerous place to work. Certainly not difficult to find reports of fatal or serious accidents in the foundries. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're celebrating 100 years of our museums by looking in depth at 100 of our favourite objects and the stories that they can tell. Today, we're looking at a photograph which gives a rare glimpse into the lives of ordinary Victorian workers. Although sadly we don't know the names of the people shown, this image is one of the few pictures we have of a little-known Lancaster business. Today's object is an image of workers at the Phoenix Foundry. The photograph is a standard size, about 10cm by 15cm. At some point in its life it's been torn down the middle, but the image is still very visible. It shows 33 men and boys sitting in a group posing for the photo. Although their outfits vary, all of them are wearing similar clothes made from hard-wearing materials. These are clothes they would wear to work, not formal attire. Behind them is a stone wall with a large metal door which can slide open on rollers. In the foreground are large metal objects a stack of pipes to the right-hand side, and girders and machine parts to the left. It is not known exactly when the photograph was taken, but it's believed to be around 1880. We spoke to Emma Coffey, a historian and heritage advisor to the Lancaster High Street's Heritage Action Zone programme. This is a £2 million programme, co-funded by Historic England and Lancaster City Council, which looks to invest in buildings, spaces and people in the historic mill race area of Lancaster, which is focused on North Road, St Leonard's Gate and Lower Church Street, very close to where the Phoenix Foundry stood on what is now Phoenix Street. If you would like to find out more about the programme, it will finish in March 2024 and aims to improve the appearance of the mill race area as well as people's perceptions of it through investment, including building grants, public realm improvements, heritage skills workshops, plaques and signage and through events, so there's lots to get involved with. The associated cultural programme, Mill Race, Flow of Change, is led by Lancaster Arts. Emma's research on the Phoenix Foundry has revealed fascinating information about the business and the people who work there, so we asked her to start with the basics and tell us what the foundry produced. The Phoenix Foundry was an ironworks in the east of Lancaster, established in the 1830s. We know it was there by 1837 and it lasted for almost 100 years. By 1894, the foundry was said to have been one of the largest in Lancashire. The Phoenix Foundry was located where the Bulk Road Retail Park is found today, on the eastern side of Phoenix Street which takes its name from the foundry. Phoenix Street itself was created in the early 1850s, around the time that Edmund Sharp became proprietor of the foundry. Though this seems to have been quite an informal route for the first 10 years or so, there's quite an amusing report in the Lancaster Guardian from February 1861, which describes the street as having been unpaved and unfinished and quite impassable for any kind of conveyance. And it goes on to describe how the Board of Health has been endeavouring to complete the street, and served notice on the adjoining owners who proceeded to build a wall at each end of the street to block it off. And actually the title of that report is called The Blockade of Phoenix Street. It's not clear who was responsible for actually doing that. It was perhaps the owner of the former Lawson Mansion. The mansion once had extensive pleasure grounds, which were effectively halved to enable the foundry to be built. 
and Phoenix Street now ran down the east side of the mansion very close to it so perhaps the owner took exception. Nevertheless the board clearly succeeded because in 1864 the works were completed. Soon after Edmund Sharp became the proprietor of the Phoenix Foundry Britain was fighting in the Crimean War and mortar shells and shrapnel were needed and we know that in August 1855 the Lancaster Guardian reports that the foundry had entered into a contract with the Board of Ordnance for the supply of mortar shells. The foundry also made the metal columns used in Lancaster's gas works. They were involved in making the dock machinery at Latin II. Edmund Sharp, we know, had a particular interest in railways and designed and built the line to Wennington from Lancaster Green Air Station before he owned the foundry. But once he owned the foundry, they began producing rolling stock for the Little Northwestern Railway. And in 1861, he applied for permission to put down a tramway from the foundry across Cable Street to the railway line, though this wouldn't have just been for rolling stock, but also ease the transportation of materials in finished articles out of the site as well. But I think one of the foundry's main legacies was the production of iron pipes to bring clean drinking water into the town from Wiresdale, the plans for which had initially actually been produced by Sharp himself. And the production of those pipes took place as soon as he took ownership of the foundry. And by 1855, Lancaster had a plentiful supply of clean drinking water. Now, action to address this problem of contaminated drinking water drawn from the wells was prompted by the high mortality rates found in Lancaster. And this contamination was known to have been caused by the lack of appropriate sewerage infrastructure. Virtually all of the town's sewers discharged into the mill race, which often backed up at high tide, flooding cellars in the area and contaminating the Loom River. But actually it was the cholera epidemic in the 1830s which prompted a public health movement and Richard Owen was asked by the Health of Towns Commission to inspect the worst affected areas. Now Owen was accompanied by Edmund Sharp during the inspections and this clearly had a big impact on Sharp. It resulted on him working on designs for a system to bring clean drinking water from the fells into the town as well as improvements to the town's sewage disposal. His involvement in local politics enabled him to see these reforms implemented. What do we know about the workers from the foundry, the sort of people who are shown in this photograph? The foundry is thought to have employed around 200 men at its peak, probably around the time this photograph was taken. A look at the 1881 census for Lancaster shows that foundry workers at that time included moulders, core makers, pattern makers, furnacemen, forgemen, mechanics, fitters, labourers and carters. And at this time they appear to be living in the streets surrounding the foundry, including Alfred Street, Edward Street, Devitra Street and Germany Street as well as a number travelling from across the river in Skirton. I think it's worth remembering that some of the streets and courts where the foundry workers were living were those most affected by the area's poor sanitation in the mid-1800s. One family of 11, the Simpsons, lived in Germany Street in 1851, and James Simpson, head of the household, was an iron moulder, as were his four eldest sons, who ranged from 20 down to 12 years old. Germany Street had actually been singled out in Owen's report in 1845, in which he stated, I received strong testimony from medical and other sources of the unhealthiness of a locality inhabited by small tradesmen and operatives called Germany Road or Street. It is in the close vicinity of the old mill stream, which here begins to receive the contents of the sewers. The whole vicinity of that sluggish receptacle of the excreta of the town has always been a noted locality of typhus and other forms of low fever. Now their water was actually supplied from a well in Germany Row where he says the overflowings of the well run into an open kennel in the court which received also the drainings of two or three privy middensteads and of two pigsties 
This stagnant solution soaks to the foundations and through the floors of the houses, and in rainy weather it rises so as to blow in at the doors. We can also see from the circa 1880 photograph that a range of ages are represented, including some young looking boys. And we know from the census that moulders as young as 12 were employed and newspaper reports from the time tell us that they employed apprentices. Unfortunately, these articles usually concern absconding apprentices. And actually, Charles Simpson, who was the 12 year old, appears in the Lancaster Gazette eight years later, having been brought to the town hall under warrant for having absconded. He actually apologised and was allowed to return to work, having to pay costs, though, which tended to be the case with the foundry, actually. Usually the foundry chooses not to press charges for the absentee apprentices breaking the terms of their indentures, though the defendants would usually be expected to pay the costs and would either be dismissed or would apologise and return to work. But it was clearly a dangerous place to work, which may have caused some to seek alternative employment. It's certainly not difficult to find reports of fatal or serious accidents in the foundries. As an example, foundries would melt down scrap iron brought from dealers, and this would often include discharged ammunition shells. One report in the Lancaster Gazette from 1889 tells of a charged shell finding its way into one of the foundry cupolas for melting down which caused considerable explosion. But fortunately, it was contained and nobody was actually harmed, though perhaps their hearing might have been, because apparently it was heard for quite a distance. Emma went on to explain what the workers got up to outside of the foundry and how they tried to improve their lot. From the 1870s, Phoenix Street saw the arrival of a group from the High Street Congregational Church. The congregation there had split over the issue of total abstinence from drink and the breakaway group decided to supply a means of grace and religious education to a needy and increasing population at the east end of Lancaster. And they did this through the conversion of the former Lawson mansion into a chapel and school. This group included Edward Boosfield Dawson of Aldcliffe Hall, the president of the Lancaster Total Abstinence Society, was also instrumental in a coffee house, part of the Lancaster Coffee Tavern Company, being established at the other end of Phoenix Street in 1887. So I like to assume that some of those attending the chapel and frequenting the coffee tavern might have been employees of the foundry, given its proximity. And a report of a funeral of a foreman moulder at the Phoenix Foundry in 1898 confirms this, which is quite nice. It tells how Thomas Kitson, who had previously lived in Alfred Street and then Windermere Road, began as an apprentice at the foundry and was later appointed foreman in 1880 until his retirement in 1897. It also states that the deceased was a strict adherent to teetotal principles, having taken the pledge in 1869 owing to the influence of Miss Dawson of Aldcliffe Hall. And as her name suggests, Miss Dawson was E.B. Dawson's daughter and was very involved in the Congregational Church and Sunday School. The 1881 census information for the family also shows us that his 18 and 20 year old sons, Charles and William, were also moulders and pattern makers at the foundry. So it's entirely possible that some or all of them are in this photograph. Something else we know about the Phoenix Foundrymen is that they were a pretty enterprising group, as a number of them were actually instrumental in helping to establish the Lancaster Cooperative Society in 1860. It was a way of the working classes being able to take control of their own lives by working together to save and to enable access to better quality foods and provisions at fairer prices. 
very impressively by January 1861, the society had already opened their first premises on Penny Street. And the number of members had reached 126 at that point, And by March, they'd almost doubled. The committee secretary was a Thomas Roberts, who appears to have been a foundry employee. The rules they established stated that shares were one pound and each member must hold not less than five or more than 100 shares. So I think the fact that a large number of foundry employees were members and therefore prepared to buy shares whilst the society was still in its infancy might tell us something about how well they were paid. And actually, the Phoenix Foundry craftsmen are considered to have been relatively well paid. We have mentioned the foundry's main owner, Edmund Sharp, already. What is known about him? So he's been described as Lancaster's Renaissance man. He was an architect, engineer, sanitary reformer, as we know, businessman, an entrepreneur and a politician. He was born in Nutsford in 1809. His father was a music teacher there and taught the children of the local gentry. It's known that he would play with Elizabeth Stevenson, the future novelist, Mrs Gaskell. The family moved to Lancaster, though, when he was 14, following the death of his father. And after attending Sepper School and Cambridge, he went on architectural tours of France and Germany. And it was on his return in 1836 that he set up as an architect, establishing the very successful Sharp Paley and Austin. He designed St Thomas's Church in Lancaster and he was involved in a number of civic buildings, including additions to the castle, Lancaster Workhouse and the Moor Hospital. He was also involved in railway commissions, including Gulgate Viaduct and the former Greener Station. Also in the Mill Race area, he bought the Theatre Royal, which we now know as the Grand Theatre. Lancaster was no longer a fashionable resort. So audiences at the theatre were dwindling and it was being used more for meetings of the Temperance Society and for lectures rather than performances. He remodelled it as the music hall and as a museum. In 1841, he was elected to the town council and was made mayor in 1848. He was instrumental in having a public health act applied to Lancaster, which actually required it to build water and sewerage systems. In 1852, Sharp became the proprietor of the Phoenix Foundry, shortly before the foundry, still managed by Atherton and Storey, had been awarded the contract by the Water Supply and Sewerage Company to produce the iron pipes. And this attracted some criticism and there were suggestions of conflicts of interest there, as you might imagine. But he was actually able to clear this up. It was reported in the Lancaster Gazette at the time, um, stating that it was all a misunderstanding and that he had let the land stock and plant to another party and that he couldn't derive any profit from the contract with the Waterworks Committee. From 1856 until 1866, he was away from Lancaster for much of the time, working on railway and tramway schemes in Wales and France. And it was when he returned to Lancaster in 1867 that he managed the foundry himself, along with his son Francis. And what happened to the foundry at the end of its life? Do any traces remain of it? On Edmund's death in 1877, the foundry passed to the ownership of Francis Sharp, his son. However, Francis himself died in 1899, aged only 54. But the company continued to be run by the Sharp family until it was sold in 1919 to a firm of Blackburn engineers, Messrs Yates and Tom, though the foundry didn't last much longer because it then closed in the 1920s. It was in the 1930s that the site was cleared and redeveloped by Pi Motors, who opened their large, smart new premises fronting Parliament Street in 1937. The site was then redeveloped again in the 1990s for the current retail park. So actually, the Phoenix Street name is all that remains of what was once there. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. There are lots more episodes in which we talk about everything from Victorian documents to Roman dogs. 